All right, our scripture reading this morning is taken from John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents. The works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why is this? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. John Newton heard about Jesus when he was young from his mother, but when he was only seven, she died. And so as he grew up, John became less and less interested in the things of God. And at the age of 18, in the year 1744, he was forced to work aboard a Navy ship. And this began several years of suffering and hardship as he attempted to desert and was mistreated at the hands of his superiors on the West African coast. During those years, Newton strived to live a life apart from God. In his words, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. In his sin, he was blind to God, thinking all he needed was his own pleasures and pursuits. It would take a great act of God to open those eyes to the truth of the gospel. Well, this morning, we continue on in a series looking at the signs in John's gospel. So we've looked at five And if you remember, these are not merely miracles, but they're called signs because they point to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So last week, Brad helpfully helped us look at how Jesus provided a food for a large crowd. And in the ensuing chapters, since chapter 6, Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for yet another feast and has begun to teach. And as he's taught, people have split in their opinion of him. There's a divided response. And at the end of chapter 8, things kind of come to a head as the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, decide they're going to kill Jesus. But at the end of chapter 8, we see that he slips away. And that leads us to chapter 9, which Aaron just read for us. So as we look at at this passage, let's consider three questions this morning. First, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Second, what has he done? What has he done? And third, who's really blind? Who's really blind? So in verse one, Jesus passes a man who we learn has been blind from birth. This man has never known a day where he could see. His blindness hasn't been caused by accident or disease. He's always been completely helpless and needy. Later in verse eight, we see he's a beggar. That makes sense. He's had no other choice but to sit and beg for food and money. So Jesus finds this man and his disciples ask him in verse two about this man's backstory. Jesus says, is he a sinner? Did his mother sin while she was pregnant with him? What's the reason he's blind? And in verse three, Jesus cuts through their questions with a clear answer. Why was this man born blind? So that the works of God might be displayed in him, Jesus says. Jesus will say something similar to this next week in John 11, when he learns of the death of one of his friends. This is the will of the Lord. He understands that the plan of God is not frustrated by the sin and suffering in this man's life. No, God's plan is actually to use this man's blindness for his own glory. This blind man is going to prove an object lesson of God's mercy. And isn't that just like God, right? To use what seems utterly weak to prove his utter worth and strength. So in verses 4 and 5, Jesus repeats what he's already said in John 8. He is the light of the world. 
Remember also what John has said in chapter one of John. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come into the world to bring light. Night is coming, he says. He will be betrayed, condemned, uh, put to death, crucified. But for now, he's come to work. So he takes mud, spits on it, makes a mixture and applies it to the man's eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man goes, obeys what Jesus has commanded and what happens? He comes back seeing. It's another miracle. This man who had formerly lived in utter darkness can now see. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Forever imprisoned in physical blackness, being able to touch and talk to and taste, but never being able to see what you're touching and talking to and tasting. It must have felt like walking out of a dark cave into brilliant sunshine. He can see for the first time in his life. Who is Jesus? There's a clear picture here, church. He's the light of the world. He's come to bring people out of darkness into light, out of blindness into sight. And here he invades this man's dark world and brings him healing. And like the lame man we considered a few weeks ago, this is a fulfillment of what God promised to do in his Messiah. He would make the lame to leap and the blind to see. Jesus has done this. It's a remarkable sign. That's, there's much more going on here. Jesus' healing of this man's physical sight is meant to point to something much deeper about our need for spiritual sight. And we see that in the following verses. So who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. Next, what has he done? Well, the debate begins immediately in verse 8 and comes in a sequence of four conversations about this man and his new ability to see. So first, in verse 8, we see the neighbors. So they begin arguing among themselves about what's happened. It's, it's crazy because they've seen this man begging for years, unable to do anything else because of his disability. But now he comes up to them and he makes eye contact with them and he addresses them. He's been healed and they don't really know how to respond. So in verse nine, some say, it's, it's him, amazing. And then others say, I, I, it can't be. Obviously, it's, it's just some other guy. It's an imposter. And right in the middle of it all is this man adamant saying, I am the man, just look at me. So they begin to investigate further. And in verses 10 and 11, the man formerly blind tells him what has happened. And there was a man called Jesus. He made mud. He commanded me to go to wash. And then I could see. But as to Jesus, I, I don't know where he is. So the Pharisees, they're divided about whether a miracle, or the, I'm sorry, the neighbors are divided as to whether a miracle has happened. So they decide to take the man to the Pharisees to see what the religious leaders have to say. Perhaps they'll offer some good direction. Second conversation. And if you've been following along in the past signs we've been considering, you won't be surprised to see how the Pharisees act. After all, according to verse 14, this has all taken place on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. And remember, the, the Jewish leaders took this very seriously. Over and above the law of Moses, they had imposed even more rules about what work could be or could not be done on that day. And, and they immediately went to figure out, did Jesus break the rules? Did Jesus break our rules? And as in John 5 with a lame man, they're blindly unwilling to marvel at what has just taken place. They just want details. What exactly happened? Did Jesus break the law? So they ask the man, and he goes through his whole story again. Mud, eyes, bath, I can see. But there it is. The Pharisees get what they're looking for. Aha, he made mud. 
He healed you. This man is not from God. He doesn't even keep the Sabbath. Forget that he made a blind man see. Forget that the Messiah was prophesied as making blind men to see. No, this man has broken the Sabbath. He can't be from God. But as with the neighbors, the Pharisees are also divided, right? So some say there, he can't be from God. But then others ask then how he can do the signs. I mean, John notes there was a division among them. So they all go to the blind man and they're like, okay, what, what do you think? What's your opinion? Jesus has apparently opened your eyes. So who do you think he is? Verse 17, he is a prophet, says the man. Notice in verse 11 that he had simply called Jesus a man. Now he calls him a prophet. The blind man's beginning to see more clearly, isn't he? he the, the light of the world is slowly dawning in his heart. As one author puts it, as the chapter progresses, we witness the blind man becoming progressively more spiritually sighted and the Jews becoming progressively more blind. And we see that continue in verse 18 where we see the third conversation. So the Jews aren't satisfied with what the healed man has told them. John says there that they are unwilling to believe he was actually blind and Jesus had healed him. And so they call the man's parents. This will sort things out. The testimony of parents will be much more reliable than neighbors. So they bring the parents in and they say, yes, he's definitely our son. Yes, he was definitely born blind. But uh, yeah, I, stopping short of affirming anything they say he says about Jesus. Instead, just Pharisees, just keep that between you and him, please. And in verse 22, we see why they do that. Why they're reticent. They said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And so we arrive finally at the fourth conversation in verse 24. Pharisees bring back the healed man and they're kind of frustrated. And, and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. That command is just drooling with irony. This isn't some praise the Lord, he's healed you sort of command. Uh, according to one scholar, what they're saying is before God, own up and admit the truth. Give glory to God and call Jesus a liar. Do you see the irony? The Pharisees are asking the man to give glory to God by denying the son of God. They're asking this man to shed light on the matter by rejecting the light of the world. He's seeing more and more clearly and the Pharisees and their anger are becoming more and more blind. Well, in verse 25, he responds, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The Pharisees doubled down. How can this be? What happened? And what follows is some of the most beautiful sarcasm in the Gospels. In verse 27, the Pharisees are unwilling to face who Jesus is. And so he says, the blind man says, I, or formerly blind man says, I already gave you my story. Well, why do you want me to repeat it? Oh, do you also want to be his disciples? Can you imagine how angry that's making the Pharisees? In verse 28, he uses the word revile. He says, you are his disciple. As if that's supposed to be some sort of insult. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. 
Last week in John 6, Brad helped us see how Jesus showed himself to be the greater prophet. Do you remember that? Greater prophet coming after Moses. And in John 5, before that, Jesus had told the Pharisees, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And all the way back in John 1, we read that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses, Christ, Moses, Christ. But here again, the Pharisees extol Moses as their father and yet blindly continue to reject the one to whom Moses pointed, the one sent from God, Jesus Christ. And in verse 30 and following, the man responds with even more snarkiness. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. He goes on to say that God listens to those who worship him, and it's clear no one can open the eyes of someone born blind. This man must be from God. And it's amazing that they don't know who he is. The blind man's spiritual eyesight is becoming clearer and clearer, isn't it? It's improving verse by verse as the Pharisees retreat verse by verse into the depth of their blindness. And so finally, in verse 34, they cast him out of the synagogue, saying, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? What they're saying there is not necessarily something about his moral sin, but they're saying, you were born blind. They just kind of give up on their argument. Okay, yeah, you're the guy, but would you teach us? We recognize that you were blind and you can see, but would you teach us? Church, you see the blindness at work in these four conversations. This isn't a matter of physical blindness at all anymore. This is spiritual blindness. The ability to see who Jesus really is. We see first the neighbors, how they're conflicted as to what has happened. We see second, the Pharisees stubbornly refusing to believe and looking for every way possible to do away with Jesus. We see the parents fearing persecution of the religious leaders and backing away from standing with their son. And we see the man born blind, increasing in mental clarity as to who Jesus really is. It's like he's taking a, a gospel claritin and his mind is defogging and he's saying, this is, this, is the, this is the Christ. Friends, which of these do you resemble most this morning? This passage confronts us with who Jesus is. He's the light of the world. And as we'll see in a moment, the judge of the world. So who are you? Are you like the neighbors? Perplexed, amazed by what Jesus has done not ready to give your life to him? Are you like the Pharisees, happy to look like a holy person on the outside, but unwilling to bend your heart to Jesus as Lord? Are you like the parents, attracted to Jesus, but afraid of what following him will cost you? Or are you like the man born blind, helplessly understanding how utterly in need of God's grace you are and eager to give yourself to him. So we've seen who is Jesus. He's the light of the world. What has he done? He's come to bring his people out of spiritual darkness. Finally, 
who's really blind? In verse 35, we see the conclusion to this amazing sign. Jesus and the healed man meet for the second time, but remember, this is the first time the man has actually seen Jesus. And Jesus asks him, do you believe in the son of man? That title, son of man, harkens back to John verse five, chapter 5, verse 27, where we read, and the father has given the son authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So this title of son of man is in part bringing to mind Jesus's role as God's judge. Yes, he's come to save, but in saving some, he will judge others. And in verse 36, the healed man shows his eagerness. He says, Lord, I believe and falls down and worships. This passage clearly shows Jesus as redeemer and savior and Messiah and, and Lord, but but as Lee read for us earlier in Isaiah, it's also showing Jesus as the prophet bearing the message of the Lord. And that message will invariably bring light to those who will believe and darkness to those who will not. So who ends up blind in this sign? On those closing three verses, we see Jesus explain what this whole chapter has been about. He says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is what's been happening all along. This sign has been one big object lesson, a, a miracle, a, a parable disguised as a miracle. Jesus is the light of the world, but that light either illumines or blinds those who see it. For those who think they need nothing from God, Pharisees, his holy light blind, blinds them even further. But for those standing in need of mercy, his holy light illumines their hearts and breathes life into their hearts to trust him. As one author puts it, the only qualification required for sight to be given is a recognition of blindness. So here at the end, the only one who can see who Jesus really is, is the one who had been born blind. The one who knew how helpless and needy he was. He's the one who receives the gift of spiritual sight. Jesus has sought out the one who had no ability to see. And he's given him not only new physical eyes, but new spiritual eyes. The man, see the progression. The man now sees Jesus not only as a man who heals, verse 11, not only as a prophet, verse 17, not only as a miracle worker, verse 25, but now as the son of man and the one who rightfully deserves all of his worship. And so he lies prostrate on the ground before him. And the, the tragic thing is the people that are really blind those who all along thought they could see, the Jewish leaders, the, the ones who followed the law of Moses, these religious elite. They thought because they had the law and they had all their new laws about the Sabbath, they thought they had perfect sight, but they were completely spiritually blind. They thought they had all their lives together, that they didn't need anyone to help them. And they were utterly lost. Church, only, only Jesus can give spiritual sight. 
Only Jesus opens eyes to see who he truly is. All we can do is recognize how completely lost we are without him. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're grateful that you're here. Um, We're glad and we hope to, to get to know you. But do you see what this passage means for you? Spiritual blindness is not an unfortunate disability, as is physical blindness. Spiritual blindness is sin. It's rejection of Christ as the only Savior of the world. And so, as you look back on your life, your greatest sin is not some scandalous memory in your past. It's not what's gotten you in trouble. Your greatest sin is your rejection of Jesus as Lord, as the light of the world. And so your greatest need is to humble yourself and acknowledge that he is God, to give your life to him, to receive forgiveness. You see, Jesus came to give us new spiritual sight. But he did that by laying down his life for us, by taking all the sin of those who would trust in him, all the judgment of those who repent and turn to him, taking all of that on himself at the cross. He did all of that so if you, If anyone would turn to him humbly, you'll find him full of mercy and acting not only as your judge, but as your refuge from his judgment, as your place of salvation. Will will you turn to him today? In church, this passage is loaded. There's so much going on. It's like the narrative and then what's going on above it and then what's going on below it. So what should we walk away with today as Loudon Valley Baptist Church. Let me leave you with three brief things. First, I think we should be greatly humbled. So the glaring flaw of the Pharisees is their stubborn pride in spiritual performance. And church, isn't that so often like me and like you? We compare ourselves to others. We think are worse than us. We promote ourselves in our conversation. No one's better at twisting conversation to make sure people see how great I am than I am. Brothers and sisters, let us humble ourselves. If God left us to work our way up to him, we would never have made it. But he has come down to us in Christ, opened our eyes. He has worked in our hearts a deep understanding of our need. And he has met that need in the fullest. There is no room left for pride. Second, let's take warning. I think this text should sober us, friends. These Jewish leaders are bullheadedly refusing to believe in Christ. He's showing them evidence after evidence to believe in him. And yet his word is not saving them, it's blinding them. Because they want to protect their own religious system. Friend, if you're content with looking like a Christian doing all the right things, but you know that day to day your heart is not inclined towards Jesus. You don't really want to serve him. This passage cautions you and warns you. God knows your heart. I I don't mean to frighten those of you who are constantly doubting your faith. You should take great joy in this, knowing that Jesus is the only one that can open your eyes. Instead, I mean to warn those of you who never really take time in silence to consider your spiritual health. 
You, you flee silence. You want other noise in your life so that you don't have to think too much about where you are with God and others. Don't, don't fool yourself. Don't be a Pharisee. See how miserable these Pharisees are. Admit your desperate need. Ask for input from trusted friends in the church. Be willing to be known by others so that we might persevere in true faith and rejoice in our Savior above all else. Ask a trusted friend out for coffee this week and say, do you see evidence in me that I love Jesus? Would you help me love him more? Finally, let's rejoice, Christians. Our theme this morning reminds us only Jesus can give sight to the spiritually blind and praise him. He's given you, if you're in Christ, he's given you that sight. Isn't that wonderful news? You're not in the predicament of the Pharisees. You're in the beautiful position of the blind man. He's opened your eyes. What amazing grace. Because of God's great mercy, brothers and sisters, we can say like with boldness what this man said. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Praise God for his amazing grace. John Newton was blindly pursuing his own sin when God got his attention in a storm at sea one night in 1747. It was a storm that lasted for days. It didn't seem like they would survive. And in desperate fear for his life, Newton was called up to do some work on the on the ship, but then somebody else went up before him and was swept overboard. And John knew that the end of life was possibly coming. And so he threw himself on the mercy of God. The, the lessons he learned from his mother came back. And as his ship over the next few days was brought safely through this storm in amazing ways, and in the years that followed, Newton was given new spiritual sight. His eyes were opened to who Jesus was and the light of the world shone into his heart with the glow of salvation. And later he would write out his testimony and testimony that's been sung by many Christians since. Many who have humbled themselves and found salvation in Christ. It's the most famous hymn in the world. And many funerals are filled with it when people don't know the hope of Christ. But seeing as we do, how the blind man saw Jesus as the son of man. We can say with John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Lord, we were totally blind unwilling to follow after you. But in your amazing grace, you have reached out as Jesus reached out to the blind man in John 9 and you have saved us. You sent your son, your beloved son to die for us, to bear our sin on himself, to rise again, to get victory over sin and death. Lord, we are grateful. We stand in awe of you as the blind man did. And Lord, we pray that you would make us a pure people. We, we pray for those in our midst who find themselves this morning content to just look like Christians without knowing you. Lord, would you open their eyes to know you deeply and fully. And Lord, we pray for, for each one here who belongs to you, 
for each member of our church family, that you would be at work to give us the joy that can only come from saying that once we were blind, but now, now we can see. Thank you. Thank you for the hope we have that one day we will see you with not only spiritual eyes, but with physical eyes and rejoice forever in your presence. Lord, keep us till that day, we pray. Amen.